The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and of course past performance does not guarantee future returns. Simon Day Takawungawa and I'm your host. Alice is having her wairua replenished in Fiordland. Deep in Fiordland, she said. So she's been replaced today by Leonie Hayden, the editor of Artia, the Māori and Indigenous content pillar on the spin-off. Leonie is also a great cook and a very good eater. Oh yeah. And as Love usual that. as usual we have Sophie Gilmore, the uh, food entrepreneur, food boss. What are you <laughs> What's on your list? Do you know what? I just never know what you're going to say. Co-owner of Fatima's. I'm happy with what it'd be like. Kia ora, Simon. And we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Freedom Farms. Freedom Farms believes that if you're going to eat meat and eggs, you should know where they come from and how they've been farmed. They make delicious free-range eggs and beautiful pork and bacon, so eat it all, all the time. Delish. So Good Friday or Easter Saturday, which means a lot of you will have been eating a lot of hot cross buns. We have a hot cross bun hater in the house. Hell yeah. What? I, I do not like any kind of uh, sultana, raisin or yeah, okay. uh, fruit rind in my food. Do you like them on their own? I have had a couple of hot crust buns I didn't despise. No, I mean like a like raisin. Bacon. Would you eat a no, raisin? No, 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 no. Like when you were I don't kid. mind the current because those yeah. are small and chewy. Yeah. But the larger that type of dried fruit gets, the slimier it gets. I so no prunes? Yeah. Mm. I, d- I use prunes in cooking. Yeah. It's different. Uh, yeah, it is different. My mum doesn't like sultanas, and that is the reason she doesn't like hot crust buns, which I think is a real shame because wouldn't you just eat it but pick that bit out? But it's tainted. It just tastes. the, the dough's whole got all thing. the yummy spices in it too. Yeah, I guess it's the spice mix as well. Yeah, just none of it. It's not just your vibe. none of it. I'm not a fruit toast person, a hot crust bun person. I just don't like that that Christmas spice. Haven't they made? I hate, some I hate Christmas mince clove pies. mix. I, yeah, I don't. Hang like, on, they've yeah. made a, 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 a hot cross bun for people like you, and it's got no fruit in it, and it's got chocolate in it instead. Have you had that one? I have. Acceptable? No, it's just sort of like a subpar bread roll. Yeah, it doesn't taste like chocolate. Quite puddingy. Yeah. So, so I've come up with a theory on the on the spot. I think the reason you hate hot cross buns 
is because they are because I hated my father. They're the, they're the, <laughs> f- they're the flavor of colonization. <laughs> in a in a in a, uh, in a in a piece of oh food. my god! It is just to me. It is a very British like European. Simon's about to ask permission to speak to your inner child. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm picking up what you're putting down, Simon. Uh, it is the taste of colonization. Christmas mince pies can also get in the bin. Exactly. Uh, Cloves oh, on hand. Delicious. Guys, oh. don't make me feel bad. No, you shouldn't. I really like That's them too. I mean, I represent the minority, I'm aware. But I like traditional foods or seasonal foods, foods that represent a holiday. Right. I like the idea of that very much. Do you like so, butter? I love butter. All I the mean, butter. what I would suggest is that you try and down your next hot cross bun <laughs> with more butter on it than yeah. The bun. bread. Yeah. Put and some then, <laughs> spice on your just butter. Just flip the ratios and then you'll be talking. I mean, I guess so. Then I could just have like a delicious piece of toast with lots of butter on it instead. Do you reckon that butter sales go up? I'd like to. Without no doubt. Can oh. we can we hire a fact checker? I'd like someone to phone Faro and find the answer to the question of whether their butter sales go up during hot cross bun season. I because thought, surely, I, yeah. who's putting margarine on a hot cross bun? I mean, shouldn't margarine can get in the bin. Yeah, that's true. So I actually had a hot cross bun as part of a meeting the other day. I was at Object Space Gallery. Right there. On Rose Road. And uh, Sahar Loan served me a uh, an award-winning Rangiora Bakery ah, uh, hot cross bun. I've seen a bit of chat about those. They, w- they were delicious. It was like dense and dark and moist, but at the same time being quite light. And I actually had to, though, and this is probably inappropriate. Okay. How is it dense as well as light? That you'd have to ask the Rangiora Bakery. Okay. So it was like a, um, you know how you can get a pillow that is both soft yet firm? Sure. Like, like a um, like memory that. foam pillow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This yeah. was like um, a memory foam. The hot cross bun equivalent. And I felt really bad because when Sahar presented my hot cross bun to me, I had to send it back. Why? I wanted three times as much butter yeah, as she'd, yeah. she'd put on it. <laughs> I have meeting. That actually roughs me. Like, don't give me a hot cross bun and not put butter on it. I would rather leave the whole situation. I guess it was a meeting, though, and she was probably just being polite. It's it's easier to add more butter than it is to, like, take it off. But I was sitting at the village the other day, um, which is our co-working space, and the lawnmower guy comes every two weeks. Sam, I organise him so I know him. I hear him shimmying around with the lawnmower. And I called out... Would you like a cup of tea? And he said, no, thank you. I'm all good. And I was like, but would you like a hot cross bun? And then he said, yes. I went inside and opened the fridge and there was no butter. And I just absolutely Ah. panicked. And we've only got a tiny lawn. Like, I didn't have time to go and get butter. And I was talking to Louise and she's like, just give it to him anyway without butter. I was like, I I don't I don't do feel it. that I can do that. <laughs> anyway, I found some raspberry jam and just put shitloads of jam on it and... He took it away. I thought you were going to say you shook up some milk and made some butter. On the spot. On the spot. Just found some cream and started shaking it around the room. (laughs) I'm going to make Leonie a dry hot cross bun on her birthday. Oh, God. No, what I was going to say before is because I love a celebration of food, what I make at Easter is a hot cross bunny popo instead. And I even learnt how to pipe the little cross on top. That stuff that they do the piping with is disgusting, by the way. It's just flour, water, and shit. Disgusting. That's why everyone likes the Ema ones because they've got custard crosses. See, people think people think they're icing. Yeah, no, they're not. They're just like it's just decoration, but in a yuck way. But yeah, I recommend for all of the uh, the hot cross bun haters out there because I know you're out there. Yeah, I mean, there's a few. Replace it with a bunny popo. So what is a bunny popo? Bunny popo is a delicious, sweet, um, 
bun enriched with milk and butter that uh, is cooked in a thick coconut sauce. And it's Samoan. It's a Samoan dish. We made those the other day for a wedding that we had at the village and it was like this really young couple and they loved Dominion Road so we did like Chinese food and dumplings and we made oh, a bunny popo and we put um, pork with it. Oh, a savoury really? guy. Yeah, so like cut them open and... With the put, coconut? Yeah, put Ooh. pork with them and they were they bloody delicious. Like a bunny popo st- uh, bao bun. And yeah, totally. And that's like, everyone was hammered, which is not why they enjoyed them. <laughs> I tried one, and it was unreal. But, but they enjoyed them extra because yeah. they were lit. Yeah, oh, so you yeah. Can take I'd it, smash like eight of those way. if I had some drinks. I I'd think that's my favourite. Do you have a recipe that you can we can have in the little show notes? Yeah, so the recipe I use was actually posted on uh, CocoNet like five or six years ago, and I've made it every year since. Um, the spin-offs Madeline Chapman also has become quite the bunny bobo expert in the last year or so. She put some up to work the other day. Delicious. She made yeah. a vegan one. Nice. It was very, very good. Based milk and uh, uh, olivani. It's delicious. Oh, good. Yeah. So I wanted to go back to the wedding. Yes. What is your favourite course of wedding food? Uh, the late night it, snacks at ten thirty. I mm. love it. I love the like. A, can it be as even bad as like a Alison Holst uh, sausage roll? Yeah, no one cares. Maybe you used to come in like a little brown bag or like a cone with shoestrings and everyone just loses their shit. Like it's the coolest thing they've ever seen. But I do love the canapes as well. I was going to say canapes. I love the thought that goes into that uh, course at weddings these days. Bougie oh, weddings. Yeah, yeah the Stuff canapes that Camille did yeah. were amazing. Like sambal fish that she'd, she'd made all the sambal and put them on top of little cos leaves. So like a little mini lettucey taco thing. She did like... A bunch of prawns that had a mango salsa. So Camille cooked for her own wedding? No, not for her wedding. Oh, oh. she did. She did cook a degustation for her own wedding, but <laughs> she catered the wedding at the village the other day. That is that is such dedication, cooking for your own wedding. Eight courses. She took her apron off, got married, and then apron back on. Wow. Um, so we can't really talk about everyone's favourite hot cross buns, can we? No, but you guys feel free to. Don't mind me. I, just... I just talked about mine. It's bunny bubble. Yeah, actually I like that, and I really like the recipe. So I think my favourite hot cross bun, after a uh, pretty funny experience at Mian, which is directly below the spin-off, I ordered two dozen hot cross bun ahead of Easter uh, without looking at the price. Oh, my God. And I, um, Kerri-Ann owed me $30, so I was like, okay, get that, that 30 bucks now. I'm just going to go and get my hot cross bun. So I had $30 cash in my pocket, thinking that would be plenty. And I got charged, well, they cost, and deservedly so. These are the biggest, thickest, you know, hot cross sure. bun you'll find, $75 for a... Ooh. And I remember catching the bus home that night, and I had my little brown paper bag with my hot cross bun, and directly across me on the bus was uh, someone who had 24 hot cross buns for $3. <laughs> it was just a two dozen for $3 sticker on there. It's like, wonder if my hot cross buns are that much better than yours. So now my favorite hot cross buns are supermarket ones. Right. Well, I was actually at Faro on the way here, which I'm sure we'll get Sorry to. Sorry about that. But um, I saw that they make their own hot cross buns, and it was $8.99 for six. And next to them was the Daily Bread six, and they were eighteen dollars ninety nine for six. So it's yeah. It's there's a, there's a real range of hot cross buns out there. But I really, um, I'll say briefly, there's lots of different types of hot cross bun. 
I've decided the ones that I like are the lighter ones. Um, so the Wild Wheat Hot Cross Bun is the winner for me. Well, so, I think that the team buns. at Wild Wheat are so clever and they're quite um, – they've got their own bakeries, but they're quite sort of like fly under the radar and everything that they do is just – to me, it's because Andrew, who's the head baker, is um, an owner. He's so obsessed with what he does. Mm. You know, when people are obsessive. Um, and I, so I just, I love it when you see people just do things with perfection because they're so obsessed. And they appear to, I can't speak factually to it, have found a way to make artisan bread uh, sort of profitable and, and get it into the far corners to be sold. Like at the worst supermarket in the world, which is Titterangi Super Value. Uh, they have wild wheat bread, and that's about the only great thing that they oh, have, other than they sell their, like, decaying bananas for 50 cents, and I buy those and put them in the freezer. Mm. Um, but they sell wild wheat out there, and it, it it's available in, in lots of places. Lots awesome. of restaurants yeah. use it. Or I mean, I'm sure they'd cafes. like it to be more profitable than it is, but um, that's just food in general. I would buy more of their kumara sourdough, but I'm not sure I can oh, physically yeah. eat more than I already eat. It's so sourdough. delicious, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. So we're going to uh, not even try to do a meaningful segue, and we're going to just start talking about wasabi. because Why? Tell me why. Because I didn't know that the wasabi you get at the vast majority of sushi joints isn't wasabi. And I learned this because of a story that is either live now or going to be live at 5 a.m. on Saturday morning on the thespinoff.co.nz. Uh, because we have a really buzzy wasabi farmer in Canterbury mm. who's doing the real uh, thing. Tell it, Sophie, you explain to me what the wasabi you get at most shops is. So I've got some here that I bought at Faro, and it's um, this is wasabi powder, which is the same thing that we buy, like mustard powder. Uh, you add water, mix it up to your desired consistency. But the interesting thing about this is that it's not wasabi at all. It's horseradish with food colouring in it. Mm. And that is the case for all of the mainstream cheap wasabis that you see in the world. And I think that it's because it's difficult to grow and it's expensive as well. So I'm holding um, a little mini jar and it's, no, it's a tin and it looks like a... It's quite cute, quite a shrunken tin of um, wasabi powder, and it looks like, um, it feels like it's just um, mustard powder, but it's green and you can get it at Faro. And I don't know why you'd prefer to have this uh, dehydrated than you would in the tube, but maybe that's just how some people prefer to roll. Maybe longer shelf life. Yeah. So Fenton Wood is the man behind the New Zealand wasabi farm. Well, he is on a first-name basis with the... Maitre d' at Kokoro. You would be, right? And are they the only ones that grow the wasabi root? What's it called? Is it is it called, called It is. It's, it's that, got a funny it has a Latin scientific... Name. It is called like wasabi uh, japanasi or something. Hold on. But I'll what's the one that starts with R? There's a name for the... Um... Rhomboid or something. Yes, Ro- that one. Roy... The rhizome root. R-H-I-Z-O-M-E. Wasabi japanoka rhizome. Okay. So what he said is that for... Who's he? Uh, sorry, this is the general manager at Kokoro, where I went before I came here. He said that his head chef got wind that Fenton was growing fresh 
wasabi. And there's some sort of restriction on how you can provide it to people, and I'm not sure why that is, but you can see on the purewasabi.co.nz website that you can't just buy it. So he said his head, his head chef spent about three years trying to convince Fenton to sell it to him direct, um, and now they buy it from him direct, and they grate it at the table for their guests. Wow. So I went to Kokoro for my birthday dinner, for my 40th birthday in February. Cool. And had the degustation and had the, the wasabi grated at the um, at the table, and it's delicious. It's it so different. I'm just eating it right so now. So different. It is the very citrusy and fresh. It still has that, like, clean burn. I'm oh also, God! I just put so much in my mouth. Don't no, but you'll be all right. It's not as intense as the um, like fake green English yeah. hot mustard, you know. And the only other wasabi fact I know Ooh. is that uh, capsaicin's uh, oil soluble, which is why they burn your mouth for such a long time unless you drink milk or whatever. But this family is water soluble, <coughs> so burns Sophie's just for that. Um, Brief moment, but then your saliva just neutralizes it. Oh, buzzy! Because mm. I, I yeah, worked at a um, I worked at a modern Japanese Australian fusion <coughs> restaurant. Sophie, you okay? You, that Sorry, was quite yeah, that a big was. Bit. <clears throat> I just put a whole lot of wasabi in my. It is. I I agree with what Leonie just described, though. It's not still burning. Her eyes are watering, though. So I, I worked. I worked. I worked at this Japanese restaurant in Melbourne. And the way these amazing Japanese chefs would uh, create a decorative flower out of the wasabi was so mm. incredible, except when someone just thought it was like an edible flower. And I got to this guy's table <laughs> oh, wow. uh, just as he had de- deposited the largest piece of wasabi into his mouth. And I was, you know, doing the old, are you enjoying your meals? And this guy's like writhing in his chair. Looks like he's on a <laughs> real intense acid trip or something. Just like fully losing the plot. And I thought I was going to have to call it an ambulance. It makes like your eyes water and your nose water and everything, doesn't it? But then he came right. And I mm. guess that's the benefit of the water solubility. He would have been on a high afterwards as well. Even, he'd have some intense heartburns. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's actually what I just got a little bit of. But now we're going to try the Kokoro Wasabi. So they do a remix by mixing the New Zealand Fenton's Wasabi. Pure Wasabi. Purewasabi.co.nz um, with one that they import from Japan, which is a paste, I believe. And he said that the reason they do that is that the New Zealand one has more kind of depth of flavor. So it's more aromatic and the one from Japan has more heat. So they want a combo of it. Because so, that is like it is full on, but it didn't have that same horseradish vibe. For no, me. but yeah. an interesting flavour that I haven't really tasted before because I think but I've But can't you see served. how it would be so much better with fish? I think the, you know, I want to put hot English mustard, even if you have put food colouring in it, on my steak. You know, that's a big, brave, robust flavour that can stand up to that. And I think what is really interesting and exciting about what we just tried so it's, it's more subtle, it's softer and more delicate and perfectly designed for fish. Wow, Leone's having one of those trip-outs. <laughs> yeah. Wow, well, so the, the mixture of the I Japanese and the New Zealand together, that's what they consider to be the It is much thing. hotter. But it, um, that it was also, a lot sweeter than the, um, the pure New Zealand one. They also gifted us some sashimi, so perhaps we should stop eating wasabi on its own and eat it with what it's intended to be eaten with. This is most mm, likely delicious. beautiful fish from 
Lee Fisheries, which is a uh, provider of kokoro. Nice. Kia ora, my name's Duncan Grieve, and I'm managing editor at The Spin-Off. This podcast, like so much of the work we do at The Spin-Off, is made possible by the support of our members. To find out more about The Spin-Off members and how you can help us keep producing quality, independent journalism, visit members.thespinoff.co.nz today. Um, Another thing that I thought was interesting, he said that there are different regions in Japan that grow different varieties Mm. of wasabi. And so then I'm like, okay, well, everyone in Japan's just only having their favorite type of wasabi. And he said, no, it's kind of the top sushi joints will specify what kind of wasabi they want. But the general public in Japan even don't realize that there's a bunch of different varieties and they don't also necessarily realise that the one that they buy every day in the tube or in the dried form is not wasabi at all. It's horseradish. Uh, Buzzy. Yeah. We've all been had. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and we I kind guess. of fuck sushi up in the way we eat it in New yeah. Zealand, right? Yeah, I don't think we're very good at it. Um, so the third one is just our bug standard horseradish, gr- dyed green horseradish. Should we I want to try that one on its own soon as we tried the other two on their own. I reckon this will be real hot. I reckon this is Coleman's uh, hot English mustard. <laughs> Dyed green and put through a uh, piping tube. Look at Food that pale. fish. It's just like an art. Oh, it looks beautiful. It? Mm, that's, um, as far as takeaway shop su- uh, wasabi goes, that's very light. Almost flavourless. That I think that's like a... Um, Maybe it got dehydrated 45 years ago. It's more like oh, horseradish cream almost. It's so mellow. Oh, mm. really? When you have the pretend one next to real ones, they don't even taste the same. Yeah. They just taste like horseradish. Like apples and oranges. Like, and now we know that wasabi doesn't actually taste like horseradish. Yeah. Weirdly. <laughs> it tastes like wasabi. It tastes like its own gig. So big shout out to Fenton Wood, uh, Pure Wasabi, and mm. to Chef Makoto and the team at uh, Kokoro for hooking us up with some incredible sashimi mm. and for looking after Leonie so well on her 40th birthday. Oh, yeah. It was a very special night, actually. It's such a beautiful Japanese restaurant. champagne. Oh, my God. That sounds like such a special Something thing to like do. Something like nine courses. Not going to lie, I was quite ill afterwards. Not obviously because the, f- the food was gorgeous, but I ate so much that I, was, I made myself ill. I used to do that every birthday. I'd demand as a little boy that we go to um, Shahi Indian restaurant. It's my favourite, favourite place. And as like a nine-year-old, I'd eat so much Indian food <laughs> that I'd have to go down and lie on the street. And you just find me on Parnell Rise outside this Indian restaurant trying to pull myself together on the ground. <laughs> wow. Mm. That's commitment. But also... I'm a committed eater. I mean, eater. I ate a degustation last week and I've just decided it's just... Does anyone actually enjoy eating like that? If it's done well, I love it. I don't want five plates of food, and they're all rich, and they've all got some sort of jus on them. It's just annoying. I think it's the richness that is the biggest issue Why with most biggest Why don't they put some more acidity on the plate then? Yeah, because people don't eat uh, in those quantities with that richness. Like, I could eat something that's just salads and vegetables or whatever in that quantity so the cows come home. Everyone could, but five different meals with, like, some kind of cream or meat sauce with them. It's well, too much. Al- but also I think it is too much. And aren't we moving away from having huge amounts of meat? Like the one that I had was actually delicious, but it went from a plate with duck on it mm. to a plate with beef on it. Yeah. I was like, you've just given me two plates of red meat. That's just a lot of food. David would love it. Yeah, he ate the rest of Sophie's, it. Sophie's uh, husband's family likes to serve uh, their meals as veg and three meat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They are um, New Zealand's 
biggest sausage fan. Yeah, that's family. what I was going to say. Is you know how at at university every meal. Or when you first start flatting, every meal is served with like a loaf of white bread mm. that everyone butters. David's family, every meal is served with sausages. And they talk <laughs> about sausages too. Like, are you bringing sausages? I've got sausages. There's sausages in the freezer. Always sausages. <laughs> Should we have freezer. some sausages tonight? I'm like, if we've had sausages every day. But just quickly, in defense of David, I'm the world's biggest sausage fan. They're After so the delicious. Family, love sausage. Love sausages. I just, I just don't want them every day, but I do love a sausage as much as the next person. <laughs> I hope you're listening to this, Ben Douglas. Well, you're also Leo. Only just uh, caught my sausage, my passion for the sausage. <laughs> Segway uh, to something slightly more serious. Today, the minimum wage went from eighteen ninety to twenty dollars an hour, and obviously, hospitality is at the forefront, the uh, the frontier of the people that that's going to fit both from people getting paid and and businesses having to work out how to how to make that money. Sophie, I know you tried really hard to play, pay the living wage at Bird on a Wire, mm. but it, it, it literally burns a hole in the business, right? Yeah, but the living wage is now pretty close to the minimum wage. <laughs> so back when we paid it, it was I think min- minimum wage was $16 and the living wage was twenty one seventy. So we were paying um, the staff that reached that level. Like Our goal was to get everyone there, but they had to jump through a bunch of training and experience and you know, those kind of hoops to get there. But when we did that, we were paying $5 an hour above minimum. So the new minimum wage is 20 and the living wage has been amended to $22.10. So we're about to launch a new kind of wage regime for the team at Fatima's. And um, in the same sort of vein, we are aiming to get all of our trained staff onto a living wage. It's really not easy in hospitality and it's also... Tricky because the living wage is um, basically deemed to be what someone needs to live in New Zealand, provide for a family, etc., etc. And we've got a bunch of <laughs> spoiled teenagers that live with their parents and don't show up to work if they don't feel like it because they're a bit hungover. And it's really hard to say everybody deserves the same thing here because mm. some people have got bills to pay and some don't and then that's not to say that it brings into question a lot of stuff like if they're doing the same job should they be paid the same rate and also if they're doing the same job in hospitality they're not actually of the same value to you because a good staff member can do twice the work of someone that's hopeless or not progressing so part of the thing that I'm trying to do is say we support the minimum wage going up um, and I think the, the, the fallout will be that the hospitality industry will have to put their prices up. But as part of the staff sort of participating in that, we're trying to design a program that says we want to take you with us onto the living wage and what we need you to do is understand our perspective on some things. And we just like made like a little report card thing that we'll be assessing people against. So it's time in the job for sure. But some of them just think that because they've been there for six months, they should get a pay rise. Um, but the problem with that is that that particular staff member might be constantly looking for cover, and you know, so it's we've done um, reliability, flexibility, progress, attitude, a couple of other things maybe, and if you pass all of that, you go from the minimum wage to the living wage. No, from from twenty dollars and fifty cents, which is going to be our new. But entry. I think that's reflective of traditional workplaces. You don't just get a pay rise because you get a pay rise. You sit down and have a performance review. And you justify to your bosses 
why you deserve more. You know, minimum wage is the minimum. You don't, unless you're unless you're earning it, you're not. Yeah. You, you know, you shouldn't expect to progress. But I'd be. I'm. I Leonie and I talked about this before. I'm. I'm happy to pay five dollars uh, for a coffee. To pay fifteen dollars for my shawarma. I want to. Uh, see restaurant as places where staff can be there for a long time so the whole experience is is better for everyone. Yeah, I know. And I think that the issue with that is the businesses that buy into that, which is lots of us, right? Like, I feel totally enthusiastic about that. But in the short term, it's just going to see us go into negative profitability. So I just think it's a matter of how you control that and how you cope with that and what your game plan is. Because it's like you're putting a leap of faith into people, right? You're saying, I'll pay you more, but I'm really hoping that we'll get some more value out of you too. But it's not – a lot of, like, our team don't even – like, they don't engage with emails or, you know, like you've got a lot of different ongoing issues with staff that are not resolved by paying them more for sure. Mm. And it is hard. The idea that working at Fatima's for 20 years is a cool, viable thing doesn't exist yet. Mm. Uh, and so you are still going to be seen as this place – where people, you know, restaurants and bars are going to be seen as a place where you work while you're at university or you're finishing school to have a little bit more cash, to have a few more beers on the weekend. Yeah, well, that's one of the hard things about hospitality is that um, our staff are transient. So then ordinarily, like we've got um, someone that's working with us at the moment that I think is epic and we've said, do you want to be manager? And she's like, oh, no, because I'm moving to Canada soon. And I was like, but you're awesome. And you will take those skills with you to Canada. And wouldn't it be nice to have, like, to go along with a reference that says, hey, I got asked to be a manager and I stood up to the challenge and I, you know, it's it's also more cash for Canada. So I kind of don't get it. There's there's definitely, like, people that don't see what I see, which is that whatever you're doing now will form part of whatever you do next. It's like they think it's separate. And I think that there's lots of young people too that – like we're taking on heaps of novice workers, which means that when I'm training someone that's never worked in hospitality before, it's not me just training them. It's me taking another person off the roster. So it's like they cost you twice because they're there and the other person that's got to train them there. And that person's got to be replaced because they need to be focused on the training. So, yeah, I think it's complicated for sure. But I do think we're going to see prices rise around the whole industry. Um, I would I would like restaurants to be supported if that's what they need to do to survive, for sure. I mean, I can bang on until the cows come home, but there is there are no restaurants running, laughing all the way to the bank. It's just not a thing anymore. The margins are... Our food costs have gone up hugely in the last few years as well. So the margin that was there is just getting tighter and tighter. So if someone puts their prices up, it's because they want to keep serving you. So I think it should be supported. Well, I, I, I support it and I hope uh, dietary requirements listeners uh, are keen to support it too and will not affect their eagerness to get out and about in the mm. New Zealand hospitality scene if, we, if that happens. Yeah, same. We're going to talk about peanut butter, but I think we'll do that next time. I really wanted to talk about how Lord loves my cho- white chocolate and miso <laughs> oh peanut God. butter. Oh my god! Uh, I believe you've mentioned that before. Would you like to just bring it up again, or are we having a whole episode about also, it? Also, I grew up with the Jewel family. I know Roman Jewel. I thought brother. you meant you grew up with Jewel, the country singer. No, <laughs> no, I wish. Uh, no, I only found out yesterday that he was behind Fix and Fog. This right. person that I have known since I was a child. 
Really cool. awesome interview with Roman Jewell, the CEO of Fix and Fog on Business is Boring. Go listen to that and we'll talk about peanut butter next time. I'll bring in some of my peanut butter that Lord really likes. Have oh I, my God. Did I mention that? I'll be looking forward to it. Simon. We are into like the third season of the podcast. Surely I've run out of all my stories. <laughs> so we're just going to go back and recycle everything. I actually asked her if she liked your peanut butter and she said no. So. I, she chased me down in the street <laughs> and asked for more. I'd rather talk about her singing on stage with Marlon Williams at the one night that I wasn't there. Did you go to multiple nights? No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, everyone. Kia ora, Tina, for looking after us today. Ora, Shout out Tina. to Has Beats on our theme music. I paid for that out of my own pocket because yeah. I didn't want to uh, listen to another just audio library uh, theme song. Uh, Jane Yee, the spin-off's executive producer. Uh, go join the spin-off members so you can keep good journalism alive. Woohoo! Kakite! Happy Easter! Kia ora e te iwi, te Aihe Butler here, podcast manager at The Spinoff. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a Spinoff member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spinoff Podcast Network.